Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's time for your midweek Bible study. Welcome, and thanks for joining me today. It's Wednesday, August 23rd. We're continuing in our study of 2 Timothy, and we're going to begin with 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 14 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 26. And we're going to talk about Timothy being an approved worker and exactly what that means. But before we get to it, join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we worship you, God. We thank you for all that you have done and continue to do. Lord, we just want to learn from you today. So as we open our Bibles, teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. The second half of chapter 2, it echoes the first letter to Timothy. Apparently, the task of confronting wrong teaching and continuing the good work of discipling believers was not past the crisis stage. As he had done previously, Paul emphasized to Timothy that his moral and spiritual conduct would provide the greatest confirmation of his teaching. No matter how others may respond to the gospel, Timothy himself must remain a consistent example. So should we all. Turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and let's find out what the Apostle Paul has to say. Here we go. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands like a firm foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Awesome scripture today, folks. Let's get ready to go. Here we are. Verse 14. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Here's our opening question today. In this verse, Paul changes from a focus on speaking to Timothy to those Timothy led in Ephesus. What is he saying? Look at the words, these things. Do you see that in the opening part of that verse? This is a reference to the lessons Paul has brought out in this chapter. This especially includes the hymn found in verses 11 to 13. 
Timothy is also meant to specifically teach others to stop fighting over words. Paul had addressed this issue, if you remember, back in 1 Timothy, and again reminds him of the same issue here. Then Paul gives two reasons why arguing over words is not helpful. First, there is no benefit to be gained by arguing over irrelevant details of Scripture. Check out 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4. By this, Paul does not suggest taking a shallow view of the Bible. Instead, he means to avoid conflict over doubtful issues. Paul specifically had in mind the false teachers mentioned in 1 Timothy. These men would attempt to reinterpret the Torah, seeking to make Christians obey Jewish laws. Now, if I may add a note at this point, arguing about words is a major problem today. Churches split over non-essentials. Argumentative people criticize church programs, undermine productivity with criticism, and verbally attack the innocent. When someone shows a pattern of quarrelsomeness, church leaders need to visit that person to deal with the issue in private. Next, in the second part of the verse, Paul said, Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Those who listened to the false teachers in Ephesus were ruined by such talk. The Greek word here is catastrophe, which means destruction or being overthrown. False teachers arguing over interpretive issues caused many problems among the Christians Timothy led in Ephesus. Next is verse 15. It reads, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Here's our question. How does Paul urge Timothy to view himself in this verse? Well, he urges him to view himself as a worker seeking to please God. Any worker or servant should desire to satisfy the expectations of his or her boss. Timothy was to view his work for God in the same way. He was not serving to please other people, but to please the Lord. Paul knew very well the many ways the world can distract a Christian's focus. These worldly forces would seek to draw Timothy's attention to make people happy rather than viewing the Lord as the one to please. Timothy's challenge is not only to be approved, but to be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed. Paul had already spoken of not being ashamed on three occasions in the previous chapter, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, 12, and 16. During times of suffering, Paul felt the need to emphasize boldness in faith to those tempted to avoid hardship and persecution. His boldness also involved rightly handling the word of truth. In contrast with the false teachers who argued over words, Timothy had learned the scriptures from his youth and was able to handle it accurately. The distinction presented here is important. In the prior verse, Paul condemned pointless bickering. Here he condemns, he commends rather, deeper study. Putting these two ideas together gives us an accurate picture of what Christian discernment might look like. It really is meant to look like, actually. There are some issues which involve the soundness of the gospel message and others which don't. We need to study diligently, not only to defend the faith, but to know the difference between whether it's worth battling over or something that's just distracting and would cause an argument. Next up, verse 16, it reads, Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. The question is, Paul's direction to Timothy in this verse seems quite clear. What is he saying? In important areas of Christian teaching, believers should be careful and they should work through disagreements. But to spend hours bickering over words and theories that are not central to the Christian faith and life is no more than worthless, foolish talk, as the verse says. 
Learning and discussing are not bad unless they keep believers constantly focused on false doctrine or unhelpful trivialities. Believers must not let anything keep them from their work for and service to God. Paul said that the false teachers who engaged in teaching that is contrary to God's word leads to more godless behavior. In other words, the false teachers will progress to even worse forms of disruption and sinfulness. I would encourage you to read ahead to chapter 3, verse 9. Next up, verses 17 and 18. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Our question is, in these verses, Paul likens false teaching to cancer. Why? He also names two false teachers. What are their names? And what are they teaching? And what is the effect on the people from that teaching? Well, let's break all of that down. Paul understood the addictive power of false teaching as people feel the need to be in on these supposed intellectual discussions. Paul compared the spiritual deterioration, in other words, more godless behavior in verse 16, caused by this false teaching, to cancer, a fatal disease. That's a really appropriate way to describe the spread of deadly false teaching. Next, Paul mentions two of the false teachers. Hymenaeus, he's also mentioned in 1 Timothy 1 verse 20, where he is included with a man named Alexander. Paul had handed these men over to Satan. In other words, he put them out of the church. These are men that grew up in this church in Ephesus. They were believers and rose up to somehow start believing in false doctrine and teaching. Just as cancer must be removed from the body for it to survive, these false teachers were removed from the body of believers so they could not cause any more harm. The second false teacher named in this verse is Philetus. Nothing further is known about this man, but we do know that these were claiming that the resurrection of the dead had already occurred, and this was undermining some of the believers' faith. These false teachers denied the resurrection of the body. Both of these men in Ephesus grew up under Greek philosophy and a Greek understanding of the world. Greek philosophy viewed the spirit as immortal and the body as evil. So a doctrine that taught the resurrection of the body was especially difficult to believe. So the false teachers tried to combine the doctrine of the resurrection with Greek philosophy in order to make sense to them. They taught that when a person became a Christian and was spiritually reborn, that was the only resurrection he or she would experience. To them, resurrection was symbolic and spiritual, not real and physical. But that, we know, is a lie. Next, verse 19, it reads, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. The question is, how does Paul describe God's truth in this verse, and what are Christians supposed to act towards it? For all of its exciting qualities, false teaching will not last. Although it plagued the first century church and still has footholds today, it cannot prevail against God's truth, which stands firm like a foundation stone, as the verse said. Heresies, false teachers, even persecution cannot destroy the truth taught in God's churches. It stands and will stand until Christ returns. The next two phrases appear as if they were written on a foundation stone, as we just described. I would encourage you to read Romans 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 9.2 for a similar use of that metaphor. This inscription can be compared to God's seal, a sign of authenticity and approval. The first statement is, the Lord knows those who are his. 
This may refer to the words of Moses at the time of Korah's rebellion. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram had rebelled against the Lord and challenged Moses' leadership. Moses replied that the Lord himself would reveal to all who were truly his. That's number 16, verses 4 and 5. These words should encourage all believers. False teachers may cause problems, but God knows his true followers. The Lord sees all who preach and teach in his name, and he knows who are his. The second statement says all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. This is most likely from Numbers 16, verse 26. It's in the same context that we just talked about. But most commentators prefer to compare it to Isaiah 52, 11, citing the use of the same verb in the Greek translation of Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 11 says, Get out. Get out and leave your captivity where everything you touch is unclean. Get out of there and purify yourselves, you who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. Those who are the Lord's, those who call on his name must be responsible to turn away from evil. Both inscriptions together remind the believers of God's sovereign control over his church and the believer's responsibility to turn from evil and maintain pure and holy lives. Timothy did not need to fear for the future of the church, for God was in control. Timothy's responsibility, and indeed the responsibility of every believer, was to stay free from sin and the contamination spread by the false teachers. God does his part by helping us discern true from false believers, then we must do our part in turning away from evil. We must not only reject the false teachers, we must also refuse to take part in their false teaching. We should not attend or sponsor any meetings by them, purchase tapes or books, or support them in any way, shape, or form. Next is verse 20. It reads, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. The question is, in this verse, Paul changes his metaphor from a building to what? And what does that mean for Timothy and us? Paul changed his metaphor from a building to household utensils, but he continued the same theme. In a large house, there are some utensils made of gold, silver, and they're used for special occasions. Then there are cheap utensils for everyday use, as mentioned. Again, Paul makes the distinction between commonly useful and uncommonly useful workers of God, pointing out to Timothy that both will be found in the church. It doesn't work to stretch the details of the metaphor too far. Paul's point is that believers should desire to be special utensils ready for any special service needed by God. Next is verse 21. It reads, If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use for every good work. Our question is, Paul writes that a Christian can become a special utensil for honorable use. What does that mean? I think Paul may have been emphasizing the individual believer's moral purity in order to fulfill the role that God has chosen him or her to play in the household. This most likely refers to personal inward cleansing from involvement in false teachings. People who desire to be used by God must be cleansed from sin and then keep themselves pure by refraining from contacts and activities that could soil them. This doesn't require a person's isolation from the world because sin is all around. More specifically, it refers to involvement with those whose goal is to lead people away from the faith. Cleansed people who stay away from corrupting influences can be used for God's purpose and are ready for the master to use for every good work. 
how much more powerful the church of God would be in the world if all believers were clean utensils ready for the master's use. Amen to that. Next is verse 22. It reads, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Here's our question. Paul presents two commands or imperatives to Timothy in this verse. What are they? First of all, Paul knew Timothy very well from their years of travel together and most likely knew Timothy's weak spots. Timothy was most likely in his early 30s at this time and still single. The first command Paul gives deals with youthful lusts. This was as much a concern for men of that era as they are today. These youthful lusts are not only sexual, but also other passions characteristic of young people, such as impatience, contentiousness, favoritism, egotism, intolerance, and more. As was frequently the case when Paul issued a warning, he followed it with an alternate positive strategy. Timothy was to run from temptation, but follow anything that would make him want to be right, referring to actions that are morally upright and virtuous. In a word, it expressed a way of life that seems to model itself after God's directions. Rather than claiming perfection or settling for mediocrity, righteousness requires the pursuit of obedience. The second command or imperative is that Paul gave Timothy a list of areas to pursue. That list includes five areas, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. The first four are internal attributes. The fifth, however, is a community with other devoted believers. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 when you get a minute, because it also speaks on this topic, stating, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So in spite of the individual challenge that Paul presented, he was not permitting Timothy to function alone. He was to find strength and encouragement in the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Next up, verse 23, it reads, Again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. The question is, what does Paul tell Timothy to avoid in this verse? While peace should be the norm among believers, we should not entertain false teachings to keep people happy. Paul's language here does not forbid contact with those kinds of folks, as it's demonstrated by verse 25, we'll find out in just a minute, where the guidelines for treating opponents imply some level of interaction. There can be no doubt about the problem caused by these false teachers. Paul repeated it several times, in fact, in his letters to Timothy and Titus. They got people caught up in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights, and this divides churches. Timothy's best approach was to simply not get involved with them. To argue would only make Timothy angry and draw him into the very trap set by those false teachers. Next up, verse 24. It reads, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Here's our question. What does Paul say a servant of the Lord must do or not do, and why? Look at the beginning of the verse. It says, a servant of the Lord. Let's start there. This is specifically Timothy and those chosen as leaders in the church. 
The expression alludes almost without doubt to the pictures of the suffering servant of God found in Isaiah 52 verses 13 to 15 and Isaiah 53 verses 1 to 12. The Christian who imitates Christ in this way will bear the experience of wounds as he or she attempts to relate compassionately to those who may strike out in hurt or anger. Some people like to quarrel because they've never been listened to before. When we demonstrate kindness, we might find openness where there once was a wall of arguments. As a minister of the gospel, Timothy did not have to quarrel with the false teachers as quarreling could be seen as a need to come to some compromise. There could be no compromise between the gospel truth and the false teachers. Instead, Timothy should promote unity by being kind to everyone. The hard, sharp edge of the truth required the skilled hands of someone who could relate compassionately with other people. Timothy had already met the requirements for a church leader of having the ability to teach. Paul exhorted him to remain confident in his teaching and to continue teaching the truth to those willing to learn. At the same time, he would need to be patient with difficult people. Next up is verse 25. It reads, Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Our question is, what is Timothy's goal in this verse? Timothy's goal was to gently instruct or to teach his opponents the correct understanding of the truth. So he needed to maintain contact that would lead to interaction with these people while at the same time resisting their error. Instead of antagonizing opponents, he could calmly and should calmly and gently correct their wrong ideas in the hopes that God will change those people's hearts and they'll learn the truth. Timothy's first desire ought to be to bring them back into the church and not punish them. And now for our last verse today, verse 26. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Here's our question. What does it mean that these false teachers would come to their senses? To come to their senses could also be translated return to soberness. In other words, the false teachers have gotten drunk with the result of losing their senses and getting caught up in the devil's trap. Satan is at the root of all false teaching and division in the church. He knows the strength of a unified church and he fears it. So he creates a trap. It could be money, fame, pride of feeling intellectual and the like to draw people away from the faith and into false teaching. They are then held captive by him to do whatever he wants. But there is hope, beloved. Escape is possible. The hope has a name and the name is Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself in bondage today by the enemy, then you can be set free today by simply praying and asking God to set you free. I would encourage you to do that. And then if you're attending a church, go talk to your pastor about that. Talk to one of your elders in the church and share what's happened to you. And I pray that when you've made that decision to leave that bondage behind, receive Christ as your Savior, you'll be baptized and immersed as Romans paints the beautiful picture of us being united in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life, just as it could have been in Paul's day and Timothy's day for these people in the church in Ephesus. The word of God is in front of us. Let's act on it today. And I pray that you will. Folks, that brings us to the end of our study today. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 14 to 26. And what a journey it was. 
there's certainly a lot required of a worker for the Lord, and Paul's encouragement is still valid today for any and all to benefit from. Next time, we'll study 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 9, and then we're going to break and take it off into the following week with verse 10, all the way into chapter 4, verse 5. But we're going to start out talking about the dangers of the last days. Now, I want to thank you again for being a part of this today. It's always a joy and an honor for us here at Word of Hope, particularly for me to be with you. Thank you for trusting us to be able to bring you the Word of God. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.